0: doesn't Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Good evening, folks, and welcome back to another terrifying installment. I have quite the program slated for this evening, so get comfortable, dim the lights, and just in case, maybe lock the doors. Because we begin this evening with a story straight out of Massachusetts. Please join me in welcoming Mary to the program.
1: Hi, Derek. Uh, my name is Mary. I am from the suburbs of Boston, sort of an area called the South Shore. So basically, this is a story from 1994. I was 13 years old. This is kind of a cute light story if anyone needs a palette cleanser from the dark and scary and spooky stuff this one is really more weird and interesting so in 1994 I was 13 my parents my my brother and I, had moved to a new subdivision of the same town that we lived in there was a lot of new construction a lot of dirt a lot of woods we were one of the first houses in there so basically, you know, we were, me and I was, I was a little older than some of the neighborhood kids, but I would still go out to play with them. I would babysit them, you know. So I would, We would still go outside and do outdoorsy things sometimes. And one of the kids in the neighborhood, I remember one day, he brought to our house in a little cage this little creature he said he found in the woods. It was a yellow slug Like creature with a, I swear, it had a smiley face and it was rocking side to side. Whenever I've Googled it, it'll come up with banana slug, but banana slugs are not indigenous to the east coast of the United States. And also, it, it just didn't look like what I saw online. It literally, it looks like something from a
2: cartoon
1: or like Super Mario Brothers. It literally had a smiley face it was bright yellow he said he found it in the woods somewhere there's a lot of construction a lot of dirt you know a lot of places for kids to play you know there was a lot of roads that weren't paved yet so there's a lot of interesting places for us kids to go and i just remember being so interested and enthralled by it i was like what on earth is this and this was 1994 it was before there was really Wide level to the internet. It was just so interesting. And it's been about over 20 years. And I still remember it. And I'm still fascinated by it. And I cannot figure out what it was. It almost looked fake. It almost looked like a Muppet type creature. But it was very cute. It looked very happy. I didn't get any ominous or bad feelings from it, which was great. It just stuck with me. And I think I was old enough at age 13 you know when you're real little you see things and go oh I made it up or I had a bad dream or a fake memory when you're real little I think I was old enough to have a valid memory of it it was a bright yellow slug like creature with a smiley face that rocked side to side from the east coast of Massachusetts suburbs if anyone has seen anything like this Please let me know, because it's been, I want to say, 25 years, and I still can't figure it out. Thank you. Great podcast.
0: Thank you, Mary. Now, when I was 10 or 11, I was visiting with some cousins that were in from out of town. And they told me about their cousin from the other side of the family. You know these things go. Well, they told me about him having a mysterious creature as a pet. Now they called the creature a cabot and they insisted that not only was it real and that they played with it but that it was indeed the offspring of a cat and a rabbit. Now 10 year old me did not know that was scientifically impossible but what I did know is that I had to lay eyes on this thing. Now they were in town for only a few short days and each time I saw them I was eager to ask them to update me on the mysterious cabot that they were lucky enough to come in contact with. Now I still remember begging my cousins and my parents both to let me see this creature. The fact that I was never allowed should have been a dead giveaway that the animal was probably too good to be true. I never did find out if they were just playing a trick on me. But you know, both cousins were younger than I was, so that doesn't seem like a likely equation. Or I suppose it's possible they themselves were fooled by an adult, or maybe an older child. Or maybe they were confused about an entirely different animal that they had no way of describing. But to say I was obsessed with this for the entire summer would be a bit of an understatement but on to the strange and unusual creature Mary saw as a child. Now I did some serious digging on this one. I honestly thought I'd easily stumble upon a solution. That simply wasn't the case. Now I waded through countless images and endless videos in hopes of stumbling upon this tiny little terror. And I just might have. Now there's a species of toad that lives in the eastern part of the United States the eastern spadefoot no it's essentially a smiley face with legs and although threatened it does live throughout Massachusetts now it's not exactly slug-like but it is similar and it has a few odd features that make this a likely candidate for starters its eyes are cad-like with vertical pupils huge and forward-facing giving it an oddly friendly face. And get this, the spadefoot can be found in vibrant hues of yellow, though splotchy, not solid like the banana slug Mary mentioned. So there you have it. That is my best guess. Now I put a few images in the show notes. Go take a look and let me know what you think. Is that what Mary saw? Thanks again, Mary, for the challenging entry. So do you have a story you'd like to have featured on the show? A true story? Give us a call at 1-888-608-9. That's 1-888-608-6444. Now, given that we're only a few short weeks from Halloween, I think it's time to crank the ghost meter up to 11. 11. And here to spook things up for us is Jessica from Canada.
3: Hey, Derek and fellow listeners. My name is Jessica. I'm from Northern Alberta in Canada. I've called before. It was probably a season or two ago about falling asleep while I was driving. And I have another story for you. So last August, I moved into a tiny... old little house with my two kids, uh, ages three and nine. I'd just gotten divorced and when I had come in to view the house before moving in here, I had pretty good vibes about it. It seemed cute and quaint and uh really comfortable and I just didn't get any bad vibes about anything being here. Ugh <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm creeped out. Um so upon moving in, I remember the very first night I was unpacking boxes and there was a few boxes in the kitchen, which you can see straight from the front of the house to the back of the house. There's this massive pass through, bigger than like a 60-inch TV. This this pass through is massive. So I was pa- unpacking some boxes and I saw out of the corner of my eye something dart from the where my kitchen table was across to the bathroom, but it didn't feel spooky, didn't feel bad. So I figured it was just something here, like a spirit or something that was just checking it out and seeing what we were up to. It was probably about a month or two later, I had a really nasty nightmare. In the house that I'm in right now, I have a washer and dryer that are stacked in the bathroom and the bathroom is located right next to the back door. And there's a boot room there. So in this dream, the washer and dryer were stacked, but they were in the boot room. And I was up top in the dryer, and I closed the door. And when I closed the door, there was a little boy standing there. He had very dark eyes. I don't know if his eyes were black. I don't want to go there and think that he's a black-eyed child. But there was a little boy with very dark eyes that was, I, I was viewing this dream as if I was watching myself doing the laundry. And the little boy appeared, and he was just looking at me, and he said, you're not supposed to be here and I said, uh, like, sorry, what? And he said, you aren't supposed to be here. And I woke up and I was sweating and so creeped out and just chalked it up to being a really bad dream. And then just tonight, I was sitting in my living room. The couch is right below the pass-through. And it felt like somebody had rushed up to the pass-through um, from behind me. And I was so scared to turn around. Um, I didn't I didn't look. So I just kept focusing on the TV, pretending like I didn't notice anything happening. And all of a sudden, it felt like somebody blew air directly into my right ear. There is no vents or heat registers or anything in that area. There's no windows. The only thing to the right of me is the hallway from the kitchen and dining room area to the living room. Um, no windows, no drafts, no nothing. But it scared me so bad that I ran out of my house and sat on my front porch for about 20 minutes because I, I was way too scared to be sitting in my house. The last few nights, my three-year-old has been um, having night terrors, uh, something that he's never had before. I, I've, I've tried doing research. Um, usually night terrors start, they usually start a little bit younger. We don't have any history of those kinds of things happening either in my family or in his dad's side of the family. But he wakes up at the same time every single night. It's 2.35. Every single night he wakes up and he's screaming. And he goes from from his room, which is at the front of the house, and he walks down the hallway to my bedroom door, which is right off the dining room kitchen area. I can hear him coming. He wails like a banshee all the way. So I'm starting to get really bad feelings here. I'm not in a place that I can afford to move. I'm a single mother of two boys. I'm a college student, um, and I'm working full-time, so I don't have the money to move us. But right now I'm sitting at my desk, which is located in the dining room area, and I am shaking like a leaf. And at first I tried starting this phone call outside because I couldn't handle even repeating what's been going on inside this house while I was sitting here. Um, So, I know this doesn't really have anything to do with cryptids or Bigfoot, which I love those calls, but I thought maybe you might just be a little bit interested in this one. Uh, Can't wait to hear your take on it. Thank you for everything that you do.
0: Thank you, Jessica. I'm sorry you have to deal with all that. But maybe, maybe we can help. My first suggestion would be to... Get a handyman or maybe a handy friend to swing by, inspect the home. You may learn that a drafty door, squeaky floorboard, or even unshielded electrical connections are the cause of your concern and agitation. Then perhaps try a clergy of your choice, or perhaps some First Nation folks could help you out spiritually. And one other thing i like to suggest is communication. Speak out loud to the entity. Maybe not in front of the children, but set some boundaries. Lay some ground rules. Believe it or not, I've heard many claims that this actually works. And otherwise, maybe do some research and vet a ghost hunting group from your area. Now, most of these smaller groups are very professional, and oftentimes the last hope for folks in Jessica's shoes. So hang in there, Jessica. Try some of my suggestions, and most importantly, don't let that activity get you down. If, like many believe, these things feed on negative energy, it's probably best not to give them what they want. Thanks again, Jessica. Good luck. Tonight's show is brought to you by SaneBox. As you may imagine, I get a lot of emails. The fact is, we all do. Inbox zero is a thing of the past. We're all so overwhelmed with emails, it's no longer about responding to everything. It's about responding only to the important things, the messages that just can't wait. And that's where Samebox comes in. Think of it as an EMT for your email. As messages flow in, Samebox does the triage for you, sifting only the important emails for your inbox and directing all the other distracting stuff to your Same later folder so you know what messages to pay attention to now and what stuff you can get to later on. It also has useful features like the Sane Black Hole, where you can drag messages from annoying senders you never want to hear from again. And Sane Reminders to ping you if someone hasn't replied to your email by a certain date. And best of all, you can use SaneBox with any email client or phone, anywhere you check your email. So join me in saying goodbye to your messy inbox. See how Samebox can magically remove distractions and make you never miss an important email again. Do so with a free two-week trial plus a $25 credit exclusively for Monsters Among Us listeners. Visit sameboxcom forward slash Monsters today to start your free trial and get your $25 credit. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash Monsters. And as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. Now back to the spooky stuff. Now you know, speaking of ghostly experiences in the First Nations people, get a load of this entry by Matt in Utah.
4: Hey Derek, this is Matt. I am in Kanab, Utah, about an hour and a half just east of St. George. Hey, I was driving home. I just barely got done riding my dirt bike. I'm driving along this old road that leads out to my house that's just as you're heading out to Lake Powell, and I'm driving along the road, and I just see this Native American man kind of walking a dog. I don't know what it is. I mean, I am close to the Kayabab Reservation, and it uh, kind of freaked me out because I was just driving past him, and I could see out my windshield, and I keep going, say, another 20 feet, and I look in my rear view, and he's gone. I don't know what it was. It was pretty, pretty scary. It's about seven o'clock here. Sun's just really starting to go down, so I can still see quite a ways. Anyway, thanks for the podcast, Derek. I listened to it a lot at work and uh hope to call back with more. Thanks.
0: Thanks, Matt. More phantom hitchhikers. Or in this case, dog walkers. Now, that's the detail that takes this story out of the realm of reality for me. A ghastly dog walker is more comical than it is creepy. But I think a bit of a description of the man would help us put this into perspective. Was he dressed in traditional Native American clothing? Or was he donned in something more contemporary? No, I guess none of that really matters if the figure simply vanishes. So you got us on that one. Thanks again, Matt, for sharing the entry. Now, folks, before we move on to our next entry, I have a bit of an announcement. Now I've decided to start my own paranormal news network. Sort of. I'm excited to announce the premiere of Para Weekly, a bi-weekly, soon to be weekly news program with a paranormal focus found exclusively for free on youtube now for the first time live right now search paraweekly in youtube or follow the links in the show notes and go watch right now if you love monsters among us then i guarantee you're gonna really enjoy paraweekly and of course a thumbs up or better yet a subscribe button click will go a long way to make all this hard work worth it So go check out Para-Weekly today. Tell a friend. and Thanks for checking it out. Now then, another subject that's often brought up this time of year is that of the stranger. That mysterious person in the shadows. That woman that just showed up out of nowhere. Or the man whose face you could never seem to get a good look at. Or, you know, that stranger that looks awfully familiar. Well, strangers are the topic for this next entry. A call from James in Texas.
5: Hey, bud. This is James from uh, Houston, Texas. Back in season six or seven, there was a story about a lady who was driving and she saw her mom in a car behind her only to find out later that it wasn't her mom, and there was no way she could have confused the two because they looked completely different or or something along those lines. And I had a very similar situation to that. So I was at my house. Uh, I had three friends with me, um, one friend, her sister, and then another friend of ours, and we were just kind of hanging out. It was like the middle of the day. It was afternoon uh so we decide that we want to go get some lunch cuz you know we, we nothing to do kind of and we ended up going to a restaurant that's right off the freeway like uh like you turn off the freeway and you're you're in the parking lot you know like like right there and we get off and we park and we park facing the road so when we get back in the car you're sitting down you're looking at the freeway going right in front of you right So we go in, we eat. We probably spent an hour and a half, maybe two hours there just hanging out, doing whatever. Uh, We come out to go back home, and in front of us on the freeway, there was an accident. It looked like a hit and run. We didn't see it happen. We just saw the aftermath. And it was an SUV, and like the the front end of it was all, all smashed. You know, it looked pretty bad. And there was an officer that had pulled up, and he had stopped traffic, and he was trying to get the guy in the SUV to pull into the same parking lot we were in, just so he could get him off the road. And the window to the SUV was rolled down. And in the front seat driving the SUV was this large African-American guy. He was heavier set. He had, you know, short hair. He had a bright green shirt on. And we're all, all four of us are watching this because, you know, everyone watches when car accidents and stuff. We're, you know, so we're we're sitting here watching and we watch the car pull in to the parking lot that we're in and park and the officer goes and goes over to the uh you know the the door and the driver steps out you know the the African American guy the driver steps out and this time it's a tall thin Hispanic man in a in a blue jumpsuit like like a blue mechanics jumpsuit and they were, like, probably 10 or 15 years apart age-wise. The African-American guy, I would probably say, was in his early to mid-30s. And this Hispanic gentleman was mid to late 40s. So, like, huge difference. And and I didn't say anything because I'm like, okay, I already wear glasses. I, I probably saw something wrong. I, you know, uh, I didn't say anything. And we're still sitting there. before we go, my friend in the back seat kind of goes, hey, Hey, did y'all notice that, that that was a black guy that was driving? And now it's not. And again, I didn't say anything. And my friend's sister chimed up. And she was like, yeah, I thought it was a black guy that was driving the car. And then my other friend who was sitting right next to me goes, Yeah, I swear to God, it was a black guy that was driving the car. And then, you know, I chimed up and told him that I, I thought the same thing too. But I just thought it was weird that all four of us saw it. And what we all saw the same exact thing of of this you know large heavyset African American guy in the lime green shirt in the car and then stepping out be the the tall Hispanic gentleman in the uh, like mechanic jumpsuit. I forgot to mention the jumpsuit is dark blue too. So there's no way we could have confused those colors, you know the lime green and the dark blue. So, uh yeah that's that. I really enjoy the show and all that and uh you know big fan. And I have other stories. If I get the courage, I'll call up and, you know, tell you those, too. All right. uh, You have a good rest of your day. Goodbye.
0: Thanks, James. Now, if you thought James sounded familiar, you might just be a Patreon supporter because James was featured on the latest episode where he shared a story about potential Fae folk or little folk in his Texas home. And if you'd like to check that out, Go to patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us Podcast. And that's episode Monsters Among Us Beyond 51. Well, you know, James, the fact that one of the men was dressed like a mechanic or possibly a tow truck driver. Well, that sort of thing is a red flag. Now, of course, I wasn't there, so maybe somehow this theory is impossible, but what if the driver switched from inside the vehicle or possibly entered and exited through the passenger door, just at the right angle to obscure you from seeing the switch. Not intentionally, but coincidentally. Almost like an optical illusion. Otherwise, I think we can chalk this one up to another glitch in the Matrix. It's hard to guess what else we would categorize this as. So if that's the case, thanks again, James. Be careful out there. Now, what do you say we go back to Massachusetts, where Liz has an entry waiting for us?
6: Hi, Derek. This is Liz from Massachusetts, but my story actually takes place in Florida. It was around 2009, and this was in Gainesville, Florida. I was going to school there at the time. And I lived in a two-bedroom apartment with my roommate, Holly, And it was kind of like a big Greek revival-looking house that was made into four units, so it wasn't some like gigantic apartment building or anything like that. Anyways, she was going out of town one weekend, and so I had the place to myself. And I was feeling really angsty about something, as I did often back then. And so I decided to flop down on the couch in the living room, since I had the place to myself, and take a nap, I guess. And I remember as I was falling asleep, I felt something like rubbing my back. And I remember thinking how good it felt. And it was like I got a really comforting feeling, as if it was like my mom sitting there rubbing my back. And it didn't freak me out at all uh, until I realized that I was alone in the apartment. And as soon as I had the realization and started to sort of leave that liminal state to be like, what the hell? It's like all of a sudden it was like this heavy static in my head, like something that didn't want me to be fully conscious about whatever had just happened. And then I basically just like blacked out or fell asleep. And afterwards, you know, I was like, okay, well, maybe it was just because I was in that sort of half awake, half asleep sort of realm. And, you know, it was just a hallucination. But that like very distinct feeling that I felt like that static feeling kind of stuck with me. So a few days later, I was in our kitchen, and I was telling my boyfriend about what had happened, and I didn't realize it, but my roommate was in the other room, and she comes into the kitchen, and she's like, dude, shut up. Are you serious? And I guess she had heard what I was saying, and I was like, yeah. And apparently, the day that she left, which was also the day that I took that nap and felt that feeling on my back, she had been in the bathroom brushing her teeth, And she was also feeling, like, really crummy about something, and she could have sworn that she felt something rubbing her back as if to, like, comfort her. And, you know, it was enough that she remembered it, obviously, but I don't think she thought too much of it, you know, kind of like most of us, you know, maybe experience something a little odd, but figure there's a reasonable explanation or it was just a mind trick or something, and she's definitely the kind of person who would never make something like that up. She was, you know, fairly serious, wasn't at all into jokes of that sort. So, you know, it's not a really dramatic story, but I always thought it was kind of interesting that we both experienced this totally random sensation. So, thanks for everything you do, Derek, and hopefully you can use my story. Thanks.
0: Bye. Thanks, Liz. Let's pinnacle creepy right there. Physical contact with an unseen entity and a second experiencer for validation. But you know, putting myself in Liz's shoes, I don't know how Liz continued living there. I think I'd probably feel like there were eyes and possibly even hands on me at all times. Mighty brave. Thanks again, Liz, for sharing that shiver-inducing entry. Tonight's episode is also brought to you by BetterHelp. Does it seem like there's a block between you and your happiness? Is there something preventing you from achieving your goals? You know, I've been there, which is why I know how important it is to start prioritizing your mental health today. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a convenient, safe online environment and start communicating in under 48 hours. And with BetterHelp, you have the option to schedule weekly video or phone sessions, or message your counselor anytime. And rest easy knowing anything you share is completely confidential. Now, BetterHelp's counselors specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, trauma, family conflicts, and there's a lot more. The service is available worldwide and at a more affordable price than any traditional offline counseling. And of course, financial aid is available for those that need it. Now I want you to start living a happier life. And as a Monsters Among Us listener, I can get you 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at BetterHelp.com forward slash Monsters Among Us. So join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Monsters Among Us. Now you know it, supporting our sponsors supports the show, so thanks for listening, and back to the creepiness. Now guys, it seems that this skinwalker has grown in popularity lately. I say that because I've received several calls involving the Nightmare Enigma just over the past few months. In fact, I shared one of those on the recent Patreon episode I just spoke of. Well, believe it or not, I have yet another to share with you here tonight. This one from JT in the state of Colorado.
7: Hey, Derek. My name is JT. I live in Denver, Colorado. I'm calling because I'm listening to Season 11, Episode 4. And somebody was talking about a humanoid switching from a possum to humanoid back to possum. And that triggered my mom's story upon another story. All right. So my mom lives in Emory, Texas, it's east of Dallas, about two hours. Her and her roommate were driving home one night and there's this bridge about a mile before my mom's road and they saw this humanoid creature in the ditch and it was out of focus from the side of the headlights and both of them saw this. Well, as they got closer, it got closer to the road, and when it hit the headlights, it turned into a bald possum, like a tailless possum, and that's the first sighting of that same skinwalker. And then a second time, my mom was coming home from work at night by herself, and in the same spot, she said it turned. It was a deer that kind of resembled uh, the deer from Princess Mononoke. Um, but when it hit the headlight, it turned into a humanoid creature bigger than my mom's roommate. And then, funny enough, talking about the same skinwalker, one of my friends that lives three miles down the road from that spot, his little cousin and his friends were driving around late at night in the same area. And no BS. They saw that same freaking skinwalker. They said it was a possum and then it was a humanoid. And they were... Freaking it out. I can get more info on their story, but my mom and her roommate are pretty convinced that there is a skinwalker living in their, their property, and it's just, I guess, being peaceful. I don't know. Anyways, all right, last and final one. My mom was on her way to work, and this was going towards Dallas, uh, outside of Rockwall in between Royce City. Five in the morning. And she was driving on 276, and she had to come to a complete stop because this white dog-like creature started crossing the road. And when it looked at the headlights, my mom said it had black eyes. And I started of questioning her because she said it had tentacles on its face, and it had about six or seven tentacles. My mom said it looked like a white dog with Davy Jones from Pirates of the Caribbean's head, but the tentacles matched its face and I asked her what kind if it had like a leathery skin or if it was like fur she said it looked leathery I don't know I did some digging and I couldn't find anything on it except I looked up Cthulhu dog but yeah nothing anyways thanks for listening to my rambling Derek love the show have a good one
8: bye
0: thanks JT Season 11, episode 4, isn't the only episode to feature stories of a shape-shifting white creature. And we've dealt with these things before. And my opinion is that, if they're real, these are not skinwalkers in the traditional sense. But since they seem to be like the skinwalker popping up everywhere, it's almost time we take a serious look at this activity. But until then, thank you, JT for sharing your mother's experiences. Okay, folks, I only have a few calls left, but before I share them, go buy some Monsters Among Us swag. That's MonstersAmongUsPodcast.com forward slash shop. Help, support, and a huge thanks. Okay, now that that's out of the way, this next one sort of hits home for me. And i'll explain why just after we hear from caitlin in the state of pennsylvania
1: hey
2: derek um my name is caitlin i'm calling today from pittsburgh pennsylvania however this takes place in hershey uh which is where i grew up um in high school my younger sister and i made friends with a pair of sisters through cheerleading they grew up in what i would honestly consider an evil home i do believe it was haunted by something dangerous I have a handful of stories from that house, but this one always stuck out. Their dad had just begun dating again at the time. This specific event took place around 2010, I want to say. Their dad would leave for the weekend to go spend time in a nearby city with his then-girlfriend, and we were 15, so we thought, you know, no parent sleepover, how fun, right? It did take a lot of convincing, but eventually all of our parents agreed and we were going to have a girls' weekend, no parents. Uh, My childhood home was less than five minutes away. And like we were good kids, we just wanted to swim in the pool and do things without having an adult there. My sister and I, the sisters we made friends with, and then a few of our other friends got together, sent our parents off, and had a weekend alone. The evening started out fine. We ordered pizza, jumped on their trampoline swam, decided what movies we were going to watch, talked about boys. Uh, We were definitely all interested in spooky things at the time. Uh, We liked to go, like, ghost hunting and, you know, things that teenagers do. And we'd all had experiences in that house, but we just didn't talk about it. We didn't want to scare ourselves into being paranoid and ruin our weekend. During the day, I guess the only notable thing that happened was around dinner time. It may be worth mentioning that the upstairs living room and dining room and kitchen was like an open floor plan. Standing at any point in the rooms, you're going to see the entirety of the space. I was the only one in the kitchen area, standing at the sink, and all of the other gals were at the dining room table eating. We were chatting, I was rinsing my plate, and then a cabinet door swung open behind me and a cup fell out and onto the floor. It stopped and we looked at it. Nothing else happened. I, I said, you know, maybe I banged something absentmindedly knocking it into the closed cabinet door, causing it to fall. I don't really think we believed that, but, you know, night was coming. We were alone. We didn't want to scare ourselves. And the big event that night was the late-night hot tub dip. We were going to go in, put on our bathing suits, and just have a late-night hot tub with fake champagne, you know, the whole shebang and things were fun for a while we were chatting we were in this hot tub relaxing you know just being teenage girls we were not drinking we were not smoking weed you know it was super kosher like there were no substances the house isn't really isolated but it's also not pushed up against other houses it's a pretty big plot of land but you could see one neighbor to the left the hot tub was tucked against the side of the house that was facing those neighbors so If they were going to be coming out of their house, we would have seen them. On the other side of the house was the driveway, and the only thing parked in it that weekend was their RV. We were in the hot tub maybe an hour, and then we started hearing loud music. Immediately determined it wasn't the next door neighbors. They were old. It was dark. It was late. We couldn't figure out where this was coming from. My friend got out of the hot tub and walked around to, you know, look out front and said, you know, did anybody turn on the RV? We all declined. None of us had been out there all day. However, the RV lights were on, and that's where the music was coming from. So we all were like, what the hell? We have to go check it out. This RV's on. Somebody might be in there. So instead of, you know, calling our parents, and, you know, we decided we were going to man up, and we were going to do it. So we all grouped together, and I remember walking up to the RV, and it was just blasting music, this loud Christian like rock music. It was so loud. It, like somebody cranked it up and the door was locked when we got there. But we saw that the key was in the ignition. Um, luckily, there was a spare set. So one of my friends went in, grabbed them. We opened it. The music stopped. I remember the tension was a little bit. We thought that maybe their dad had plugged it in, like, you know, started it, forgot it, and the radio tripped or whatever. It was old. As we're walking away then from the RV, we all heard it. The soft sound of a woman's voice singing, and all of us heard it. We froze and just looked at each other. And next thing you know, you hear this laughing, like this mocking sort of laughter. And it wasn't coming from any of us. We couldn't see anybody. And then it stopped, and we screamed. It was so late. We just screamed and booked it towards the house. We were crying, shaking, called my parents over in a rush so we would feel safe again. Turned on every light in the house and waited for my dad to get there, who was less than pleased because he said he knew this was going to happen. Um, and we were just psyching ourselves out and, you know, offered for us to all go back to my house and spend the rest of the evening there. Of course, we went. We were terrified. We didn't want to be alone. Like I said in the beginning, I could tell you a million stories about this house, but this one really hit me because it was the first time that anything had ever happened. And we had all been there and all heard it and all you know, felt those same things, they don't live there anymore. I do believe their dad still owns the house. But you know, we're all grown up and have all, you know, left the nest. And I haven't been to that house in, you know, well over a decade. And I don't think I would ever go back. It was absolutely almost demonic, to be honest. But anyways, you know, thanks for your awesome podcast. You know, thanks for giving these crazy stories an outlet and, you know, making people feel heard and like, and entertained. Have a good night. Thanks.
0: Thanks, Caitlin. You know, if mass delusion really takes place, Caitlin's setting seems to be the perfect breeding ground for it. You know, I can't help but feel it only takes one person to overreact to get an entire group like that going. But if that's what it was, then how did the cupboard open? How did the RV start? And where was that maniacal laugh coming from? Now as I said in the intro to the story, this call struck a nerve because I finally found a travel trailer. Sarah and I went and picked it up last week, and now it's time to hit the road. Yes, in search of monsters. So be sure to follow us on Instagram because I'm sure we'll be posting updates from wherever we are. Now the camper a 2021, so... I think my chances of it being haunted are slim to none. But I still have my fingers crossed. Thanks again, Caitlin, for sharing that eerie entry. Now, throughout this journey, we've dodged mysterious critters. We've tiptoed past a plethora of ghosts and even tangled with a skinwalker. You could say that we have the paranormal spectrum covered. But what if I told you I have a topic that even I hadn't heard about? So here, with the first of its kind, from the Caribbean island of St. Martin for the first time, please, welcome Gary to the program.
9: Hey Derek, this is Gary. My story takes place in uh, the island of St. Martin, July 2017, right before Irma hit. The exact location is uh, Little Bay, which is... uh, I don't know, there's Fort Amsterdam on the one point there of Little Bay, but this happened on the opposite point of Fort Amsterdam. Uh, I was on vacation with my parents and their friends on a scuba diving trip. This happened after we got done scuba diving one day, I decided to go snorkeling in Little Bay. So we go out, I had snorkeled on the left side before of, if you're standing on the beach, lots of cool stuff to see on the left side like they put statues out in the water and stuff like that so i was like i've been out there let's go snorkeling on the right side so my dad and a friend of his and myself decided to go along the right side of the beach as i'm swimming out i'm seeing like all the coral heads and the reefs and everything are are just dead and everything's white all the coral is dead which i thought was weird because everywhere else i've been on the island is you know, full life and colorful coral and stuff. As we swim out, it starts to get rough. We're almost at the the point of this day. Uh, I turn around. And my dad's like, it's too rough. I'm going back in. Can't keep going. I'm like, all right, well, I'll be right behind you. Five minutes. Because I, I spotted another coral head, like, out in front of me that looked like it had some life to it. And there might be some fish or something under it. They start swimming back. I dive down to go look underneath this coral head and uh as soon as I get down there, it's like millions of bubbles just come out of nowhere like a boat just went by or something. But I can't see which way is up, which way is down. Can't see the hand in front of my face. I'm just like, this is weird. I don't know why there's so many bubbles. I know I was near the bottom, so I put my feet on the ground and pushed off, came up to the surface. I turned around and start swimming back and I noticed that I can't see my dad or his friend in the water anymore, and I keep swimming, trying to get back to shore, and I see them both on the shore waving to me, and I'm like, how did they get there? It's literally been five minutes. It probably took us 30 minutes to get out to where we were before they turned around. They so swim all the way into shore, and they're like, where the hell you been? You know, it's been over an hour and a half since we've been back on shore. We walked all the way back to where, you know, the chairs and stuff were set up, and They put their equipment back and then walked all the way back down the beach to where we first got in the water. I'm like, I don't know. I was five minutes behind you. Like, I literally went down. All these bubbles came out of nowhere. I decided, all right, I'm swimming back. Get back on the beach and uh, I go to take my rash guard off, which is extremely tight. You know, it's like neoprene or whatever. You know, take it off. My mom's like, what the hell is that on your back? I'm like, I don't know. What are you talking about? And apparently there was three dime, like, uh, about the size of a dime, a perfect, like, circle cut out of my back in a triangle formation that were, like, like, I'm guessing it was something that bit me or something out there. That would be, you know, the logical explanation is that something bit me. But there was no holes in my rash guard, which was, you know, weird because it was so tight, like, what could get underneath my rash guard bite me in my back and then and me not know it you know like seemed strange so I went to like the local you know doctor there and they're like we've never seen anything like that never seen a bite you know and these holes in my back were like all the skin was cut out inside the circle and it was about the thickness of a dime of how deep the wounds were and there were three of them in a perfect triangular formation in the center of my back so My logical explanation is something out there bit me and took the skin off my back. And then, like, the other weird thing is, where did the hour and a half time go? Because, I mean, I literally went down to the bottom. was down there for less than a minute because I can only hold my breath for about a minute. And then swam back to shore. I don't know. I thought it was kind of weird. I went to the local doctor there in St. Martin. They said they'd never seen it. When I got back home... I went to the doctor again and was like, what is this? I mean, uh, the one in St. Martin gave me some, you know, antibiotics or some kind of cream to put on it. But, you know, nobody knew what it was or had seen this type of marks before. You know, so I thought it was kind of weird. And, uh, you know, the logical explanation, like I said, was something out there bit me. Uh, But how it got under the rash guard, I don't know. How I didn't feel it, I also don't know. Um, Maybe you could kind of do research on, you know, something that would bite somebody in a perfectly size of a dime and just take out, you know, a quarter of a, less than a quarter of an inch of uh, skin off my, like, completely out of my back. You know, the crazy explanation would be there's underground bases of reptilians that abducted me and took a skin sample out of my back and then somehow wiped my mind and then I came up and I swam back to shore and you know, the whole thing took an hour for them to do or whatever. That's the crazy explanation. The other logical explanation would be some type of sea creature bit me that puts a numbing agent in or something and so you don't feel it but how that creature got underneath the rash guard and then didn't leave any holes in the rash guard. I don't know. That's, that's a One of my many stories. I'll uh, call back with some other ones, but that's it. Thanks.
0: Thank you, Gary. Now, my immediate thought here is that this is a fungus of some sort, not unlike ringworm, which leaves pepperoni-sized red lesions on your skin the shape of a perfect circle. Now, I think most ringworm lives on gym mats these days, but perhaps there is an ocean variant. Or maybe, more likely, the rash guard Gary was wearing helped spread the infection. But surely a doctor in St. Martin has seen ringworm before. And how do you explain the bubbles and, of course, the substantial missing time? I don't know about any fungal infections with those side effects. So let's shoot for the moon here. What could this have been? Was Gary knocked unconscious by gases released from the ocean floor? If so, how did he not drown during the time he was floating freely in the ocean? Was some animal to blame? Is it possible he spooked a giant octopus or squid, and it reacted by releasing bubbles and smacking Gary unconscious? Then again, how did he not drown, and why was the rash guard not damaged? Then, of course, the suggestion I've been dancing around. Was he abducted by someone or something? Now, there's no shortage of stories of strange craft entering and exiting the world's oceans. These reports seem to be increasing at a rapid rate. But have you ever heard of an underwater alien abduction? I'll be honest, I had not. And the concept has never even crossed my mind. So that sent me digging for information. And as it turns out, water can play a big part in alien abduction. Betty Hill of Betty and Barney fame recalled the craft they were aboard diving into the water. Betty Andresian claimed to be taken to an underwater museum during her abduction. And of course, in nearby Miami...
10: There is Filiberto Cardenas. Miami, January 3rd, 1979. Filiberto Cardenas is driving with three friends when his car engine fails. He gets out to check under the hood. Suddenly, a massive UFO appears over the car. The passengers watch in horror as it shines a blinding beam of light at Cardenas, pulling him inside. The UFO then vanishes taking the terrified motorist with it. Two hours later, Cardenas is found by a police officer 16 miles from the abduction site. But according to the victim, he had traveled much farther. Cardenas reports the craft was manned by three human-like aliens who flew him to a rocky stretch of coast, which opened into an undersea tunnel. The alien spoke Spanish, warning Cardenas of future wars and disasters that will threaten humanity. At the end of the tunnel, the UFO arrived at a massive underwater city. There, Cardenas met another human abductee who claimed to have been living with the aliens for years. Cardenas claims the aliens then conducted a series of medical experiments on him. A later physical examination reveals over 100 needle marks on his body. Not long after his abduction, Cardanius begins to suffer from a litany of strange afflictions. His body experiences extreme temperature changes, causing him to sweat profusely, and nothing can quench his endless thirst. Worst of all, he suffers terrifying memory loss that leaves him wondering what is real And what is the work of his alien abductors? Now that clip courtesy of the
0: UFO Files. So maybe you picked up on a few of these coincidences. Both stories come from relatively similar locations. Both involve underwater mysteries. And more importantly, both discuss physical procedures to the body. And given Filiberto's memory loss... I suppose you could say missing time is also a factor here. So let me leave you with one more possible scenario. What if when Gary submerged, he disturbed some sort of unknown craft, and in its retreat, he was caught up in the bubble trail? I can only assume that's some sort of byproduct of their method of transportation. But perhaps, like Travis Walton... Whom believes he was hurt or even killed when he was struck by the light of a strange craft, only to be revived and repaired by the occupants of the same vehicle. Like Walton, maybe Gary was injured by the sudden release of the bubbles, and they were forced to take him aboard to fix him up, so to speak. Were the strange, dime sized lesions in the missing time simply a byproduct of this rescue procedure? Now, it might sound crazy, but then again, so does Gary's story. But I'll tell you, we couldn't be happier that he shared it here with us. Thanks again, Gary. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All audio used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And keep the party rolling by joining our social media groups. If pages at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And guys, trolls have infiltrated the Apple Podcast reviews. So please go over there and leave something nice to keep them at bay. Oh, and to the one reviewer. I hate to break it to you, but ABCs and all out-of-place animals absolutely do belong in cryptozoology and the paranormal field as a whole. In fact, anyway, and finally, the awesome score you heard here tonight is Co. AG Music, Mark VanderMulen, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you so much for listening. Go check out Para Weekly, and until next week. A few weeks ago, I shared a story about a walking tree. The response was so great that I thought I'd follow it up with this equally as interesting entry from Alan in the state of Maryland.
8: Hello, Derek. This is Alan calling from Baltimore, Maryland. And I'm referring to uh, Season 9, Episode 15, the story about the uh, talking tree. Okay, this is my story. I'm... Um, I was about nine to 10 years old, maybe, uh, it was in 1994, and it was around um, 11 a.m., and it was my friend David and sister Lucy and their dog Scotty and me, Alan. We were enjoying our summer playing with the dog in my side yard when we were interrupted by a, a strange sound. We became still and quiet so we could hear it again more clearly. It was a voice and it sounded demonic calling my name. It was a weird voice like Andre the Giant that kind of sounding voice and uh I was very creeped out at the voice calling my name and it was all the way from my backyard we were in the side yard and I could see the look on my friend's faces I mean you know they were feeling the same but it was weird uh Scotty the dog almost gave us the impression to go investigate or maybe it was just us just thinking that and the three of us being oddball kids ran into the house through the side door and grabbed whatever we could defend ourselves with. One grabbed a crucifix, another grabbed a knife, and another grabbed a baseball bat. Along with our weapons and the dog, we inched our way to the backyard. And it's kind of comical thinking back now, you know, with all that stuff, but completely, you know, it was real and terrifying as a kid. So uh, my backyard had a, uh, a large rotten tree And at night an owl would visit this tree to hunt, I'm guessing. But it was really, it was really creepy uh, looking tree. So as we got closer to the tree, we heard the voice calling my name. I thought later uh, as past time by that, you know, someone was just messing with us, playing a trick. But the most important part of this experience is that the voice was coming directly. I mean, directly from that rotten tree. And that was just the strangest thing. And that's why I referred to that, that uh, episode where the man was talking about a talking tree. So the three of us just started the run. We didn't know what to do from the back to the side yard down the alley in front of my house screaming. And uh, barely being able to uh, catch our breath. And uh, that's about it. And um, thank you, uh, Derek and company, for your time. And thank you for what you do.
0: Thanks again. Bye. Thanks, Alan. You know, I can't help but think that that sounds like something straight out of the film Poltergeist. You know, I'm curious to know if the tree was dead or living at the time. And I'm also curious to know if it's still standing today. And as Alan mentioned, we've covered the subject once before. Something tells me we will cover it again. Until that time, thanks again, Alan. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the program. Have a good night.